It's so wonderful to be together this morning. Thank you for being here. We're so glad to see all of our members as well as all of our visitors. We want you to know how welcome you are. You're always welcome and we appreciate your presence. Please let us have an opportunity to meet you and make you feel welcome. In James, we're in our second week studying this uh, lesson through or series through James. Do your faith because James is all about action. He's all about getting to it with your faith, your faith being alive and active in your, li- in your life. And we're still in chapter 1. We're going to finish chapter 1 in verses th- 13 through 18. He, James is still on this thought that we looked at last week of going through trials and, and suffering and, and persevering through them. But what he does is... In the beginning, he's talking really about external trials that we face, pressures from outside, and now he turns his attention to internal temptations. What's going on inside of us, what we deal with on the inside. You've been there, haven't you? You've been tempted in some way, in many ways. Sometimes it's in little small ways. Sometimes it's in really big ways. But we've all been there and been tempted. And we've all been there where we've fallen into temptation. And so we want to see what God's Word, what James has to say to us to help us understand temptation and sin and also what we can do about it and what God has done about it. Temptation is kind of like the Australian uh, sundew plant. This is an interesting little plant. Because the plant has all of these long, slender leaves that come off of it. There's there's several of them on one plant. And then on each leaf, you see these hair-like pieces there. And on the end, it looks like water droplets, doesn't it? And so what happens is a fly or an insect is buzzing by, and it says, ooh, moisture, water. Uh, sustenance. I can land here and take a break and rest my wings and, and get some water and freshen up. Only to find out that when it lands and it starts to enjoy the water droplets on the end of these little hairs, it finds out, oops, this ain't water. It's a sticky substance like a, a, a uh, uh, you know, a sappy kind of substance at the end of these little hair follicles. And the plant, the sundew plant, knows when an, a live insect lands on it. It can sense that there is a live insect on me. And so it get, its feet get stuck in that, uh, the sap stuff on the end of the hairs. And it can't get off. It struggles, it tries. And then what that sundew does with its leaf as it starts curling its leaf over on that insect. And like a Venus flytrap, which we're familiar with, it, it, you know, it eats, it, it consumes, it digests that insect that it trapped. And when it's done, it unrolls, and there's the, the exoskeleton, just the shell of, of an insect sitting there stuck on its little hair-like follicles. And it waits for the next one to come by. Isn't that amazing that there's plants like that? And it's harmless to humans, and I've read that people even can use them in their gardens to help deal with uh, you know, bugs and insects that eat on their, their good plants. 
I think that's incredible that God made all these kinds of things and that we just usually don't have any knowledge of them. But it's such an example, an illustration of what temptation is like. This is what temptation is like, the sundew plant. And James is going to help us understand, uh, understand this better and what we can do. So look at verse number 13. Where James writes, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. James wants us to understand two important things in this one verse. And this first one here is one that we just skip over. We don't even think about because we get on to God doesn't tempt us. That's the one we, we're more familiar with. But we need to slow down when we're reading the Bible. And what does James say first? What has he said? He said, God cannot be tempted with evil. We might wonder, well, okay, why is that important? Why does that matter to me? I want to deal with my temptation. I want to talk about me, right? We want to know what does this have to do with me. But, but look at how important this is. That James makes this point that God cannot be tempted with evil. See, this is important because the one true God that we worship that we have put our trust in for salvation, the one in whom we say we believe, we need to know that He is absolutely good and totally pure and perfectly perfect and holy. Because if He's not, we're in trouble. We cannot have hope. We cannot trust in Him and put our complete faith in Him if He is not perfectly good in every way. And so what James is telling us is, look, you can put your trust in God because he cannot be tempted. God cannot be compromised by evil. Evil cannot stain or pollute God's goodness. In fact, God is perfectly holy and sin and evil and, and, and anything like that cannot even dwell in his presence. We can trust that God is completely good in every way. In Exodus 15:11 the Bible says, "Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods, little g gods?" It says, "Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders?" Deuteronomy 32:4 says, "The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice, a God of faithfulness, and without iniquity, just and upright is He. See, God is perfectly pure. He cannot be impure. He cannot be unholy in any way. Evil cannot exist in His presence. And, and we've got to be thankful that the God, the one and only true living God, the God that we worship, that we put our trust in, is perfectly good and holy and righteous. Because if he wasn't, as I said, we're in trouble. If he's not perfectly good, then we can't fully trust him. And James is making sure we understand God is pure and good. Now, look at what he says next. He says the second thing James wants us to understand is that, and, and, and understanding the first thing helps the second thing make more sense. And he says, nor does God tempt anyone. 
You see, if God is perfectly good, totally good, pure, and, and righteous, and God is love, then it's impossible for Him to tempt us to try to lead us to do anything wrong or evil. Now, James earlier talked about trials and, and sufferings that we might go through. And now he's talking about, he's getting into the subject of temptation to sin that we deal with on the inside that comes from within us. And he's saying, you don't have to worry. God will never, ever try to lead you down somewhere you shouldn't go to make you do something you shouldn't do. And also another thing James is saying when he says that is you need to understand that when you sin, it's not God's fault. You can't say, well, God put me in that situation. Or a modern day way of saying that is the devil made me do it. But James is saying you can't blame anyone except who when you sin. He's saying you need to understand you must take complete responsibility for your sins, for your life, because everything comes down to choices. God didn't make you sin. God didn't make you do that thing. You made a choice to fall into that temptation. Now, tempted in the Greek is, is the verb form of the noun for trial. In other words, there's a relationship between trial that we just looked at in the first part of James and temptation. There's a connection there, okay? But they're different. You see, God may send us through a trial, right? He may send us through some testing, but it's always, and you look every time through Scripture, it's always to strengthen our faith. Always. It's never, ever in any way designed for us to be led astray to do anything wrong because God only wants what is good for us. Now, one difference you can tell between a test from God, a trial that you may be experiencing from God, and temptation is the goal. You see, God wants to uh, strengthen your faith for your good. Satan wants to tempt you so that you will do evil and pull you away from your faith. Do you see the difference in what they're after, what God is after versus what Satan is after? We see people tested throughout the Bible, throughout all of Scripture. Some really quick examples are Abraham being tested in his faith uh, to offer Isaac, right, in Genesis, in Genesis 22. God tested Hezekiah's faith in 2 Chronicles 32. Gideon was tested, we recently talked about Gideon, was tested with the size of his army in Judges 7. Job's faith was tested to the uh, uh, maximum degree to see if he would lose his faith in God. That was Job chapter 1. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, their faith was tested. And remember they said that God will, will save us, will provide for us. And then they said, but even if he doesn't, they weren't going to give up on their faith. But their faith was put to the test. And then perhaps most famously or more, most importantly for us, we see that Jesus himself was tested right after he was baptized. He was led by the Holy Spirit into the desert, Matthew 4. To be tested by Satan. And then he began his public ministry. So trials and tests from God are for the purpose of determining the genuineness of our faith. 
Does that make sense? And perhaps getting you ready for what God is trying to do through you or with you. And it's never for the purpose of leading us into sin. But let's take a minute to look at temptation in verses 14 through 15. Because here we see a play-by-play uh, uh, of, of what temptation does, of, of how temptation happens, of what it looks like. And look at what James writes. But each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Then, verse 15, desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Now, it's interesting, it's important to know, James is not claiming that God doesn't allow you to be tempted. Being a Christian does not mean you cannot be tempted uh, with sin. He's not saying that. Notice what he said, each person is tempted when. What does that tell us? That lets us know everyone will experience temptation. Well, James, when is it going to happen? And he tells us when you're lured and you're enticed by what? Your own desire. You see that? So temptation, that lets us know, is personal, right? Now, it's unique to you. It's what gets you. It's what works on you. What works on you may not work on them, but it works on you. And that's what's going to be used against you. See, lured here, the word lured, look at the words lured and enticed. Lured means to be drawn away or dragged away. That's what lured means, okay? It's, it's temptation calling you, saying, hey, look over here. Come here, right? That, that's, that's it, luring you. Come here. Let me talk to you. I'll show you what I got. Come look at this. Give me a minute. And then, and then enticed expresses the magnetism of that desire. Think about magnets. So you're being lured. It's by your own desire. And on the, on, on, on the front of you is one side of a magnet. And over there on that sin is the other side of that magnet. And what's it doing? That magnetism of that desire is drawing you in like a strong magnet pulling you in to it one person put it this way it is the that enticement is the hypnotic attraction of the bait that was set out for a hungry beast you put something out for a, a coyote out in the woods or something like that and they will smell that and that will pull them in and they'll eat it up you might not even find the bones Later on. So temptation is like Satan going fishing for you. That's what temptation is like. He gets out his rod and his reel and he opens up his tackle box and he looks over at you and he looks in his tackle box. He looks over at you and he says, oh, this one works on so-and-so. Let me get this one ready. This, this one works every time. And he pulls it out and he ties it on his line and zzz, he drops it in that water. So what happens next? See, you're swimming around, right? 
Here you are being a good little Christian fish swimming around. And what happens? Plop. Right? Isn't that what happens? You hear that plop, and what do you do? What, what was that? Y'all hear something? What was that? And you, you start looking around, and you start wondering, what was that plop? And, and here it is, luring you. Hey, why? Because the sun is shining on it, and it's, it's glimmering, and maybe it smells. And, and you, you pick up the scent. You see it uh, uh, shaking and moving, and, and the sun shining on it. You go, ooh, and you see it over there. And what does it start doing? It starts enticing you. Why? Because he used the lure that works on you. See, your friends are swimming by because they don't bother them. Maybe it does, and he gets a whole bunch of y'all all at once. And he knows what lure works on your friends or you and your boyfriend or girlfriend or something like that. But he knows what lure to plop in the water beside you. And just like a fish, to, you start swimming and you say, oh, let me just go check it out. It, what, you know, what is that? Let me go get a little bit closer. And so we start swimming a little bit closer, right? And then what happens? You get a little bit closer. And then look at, look at, what, look at what he says in verse 15. Then when desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. Because what happened was you went over and you got so close and stayed so long you decided, oh, I can't help it, and you bit the thing. Now, I can't bite this because there's a hook in it unless somebody, wants to, unless somebody wants to help me demonstrate. But then what happens after you bite that thing? What happens? Now it's in your mouth, right? Now he's got you. He pulls that rod, and you're stuck. He's got you. He's got you again, doesn't he? And what does he start doing? He doesn't say, oh, I'm sorry, let me cut the line. No, he says, oh, I got you again. He starts reeling. And where are you going? You're going where he wants you to go, not where God wants you to go, where you've been trying to go. He's pulling you away. Do you see that? That's exactly what Satan does to us. Now, James is using... Some, some birthing metaphors here that are, that are also really powerful. But look at, what, look at what, what we understand from Scripture. When desire is born is when you give in to the temptation and sin. So desire is the child, desire's child is sin. Do you see that? Desire's child is is sin. When desire uh, uh, brings forth, gives birth, it's sin that it gives birth to. That's when you fall into temptation. Then James says, and when sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth what? Death. So if sin is the child of desire, then death is the child of sin. Does that make sense? So sin leads us to death. And Satan uses that temptation so he knows what works on us, what lure to use on us, and he uses that to lure us away so we will what? Die. That's what he's doing to us. He's pulling us away so we will die. Well, what kind of death does James mean? Well, that word there, it's used in many other places in Scripture. Romans 6.23, wages of sin is death. It means separation. It doesn't mean necessarily, you know, Adam and Eve 
died spiritually. He said, don't eat of this tree, you will die. Well, they stayed alive, but they, there was a spiritual death that took place. And they had to leave the garden. And so that's what God, that's what Satan wants, is he wants to separate. You forgot, when, you, when, when sin gives birth, it's death. When it's done, it's full work. When it's finished doing its work. And what is that death? Separation from God. You see, it starts in this life when Satan gets his lures out in the water and he gets you away and he's chipping away at you and he can get you away from the church, get you away from uh, uh, your church family, get you away from worship, get you away from the kind of people you need to be around and all of those things, get you away from godly things, get you away from God. And then that's in this life. And then eventually what does he have at your death? He's got you Eternally in death, doesn't he? Eternal separation from God. That's Satan's mission. He's an expert fisherman. And he's after all of us. What can you do to endure through a trial or a temptation? What can you do? Well, Proverbs, in this one verse that's well known to us, tells us we need to guard our hearts. Why? Because out of it are the issues or flow, the streams of life, or out of it all things in life come out of the heart. And the Bible uses the heart to be the center of our lives, where everything comes out of. So how can I guard my heart? How can I, what, what can I do I, so I don't fall into temptation, so I can stop falling into temptation, so I can keep swimming when I hear that plop in the water and I can take off? Well, I think these are some practical, obvious things we need to do, but we need to be reminded of them because guess what? We don't do them enough like we should. Daily prayer, daily Bible study. Bible study. Look, I'm all for reading the Bible in a year. If you, if you do that, do that. that. I'm all for that. I have no issue with that. My only concern is it's not about completing it in a time frame. It's about getting it in you. Do you see the difference? You see the difference? So, so we, get, we get behind uh, next year, and it's February, and you just say next year. Yeah, that's what we do. You don't have, uh, look, it's okay if you want to do that. It's fine. It's a, good, it's a good practice. But make sure what you're after is to get it in you, not just to get through it, okay? There's a difference. And then assembling for worship, study, and fellowship. Why? Because God designed the church. He intended this. It's the body of Christ here for a purpose for your good. And that helps you grow spiritually so that you can guard your heart. What you watch, listen to, look at, and think about. Every bit of that matters, doesn't it? What goes in your heart is going to affect what comes out of you. And then service to others. You know, sometimes, we talked about that in class this morning. Sometimes what we need to do is get off of ourselves, quit thinking about ourselves, get out of our lives, our own selves, get off, stop looking at ourselves in this, and we need to get out there and do something for someone else, other-centered instead of self-centered, and see what difference that makes in your life. Now let's go back to our text and James tells us in verse number 16, do not be deceived, my brothers. Now that verse is real short. It almost seems like it's abrupt, like just abruptly put there. But it's, he's sandwiched that verse 
between what he just said about, about God and about what Satan does and how Satan tricks us and lures us and, and he sandwiched it between what he's about to say about God. And he's saying, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived by what Satan's doing and how he works to lure you away. Don't be deceived about what I'm telling you about God and how wonderful and good he is. And so, look at, uh, let's look at verses 17 through 18. James reminds us every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of His own will He brought us forth by the word of truth. That we should be a kind of first fruits of His creatures. You see there's nothing in this world that is truly good that didn't come from God. All good things come from God. He, he, he is good in goodness. And everything that's truly good somehow is a blessing from God, good and pure and right. That's all from God. Whether the source understands it or not, we know that all good things come from God. And James reminds us of God's goodness. You see, God is always good, and God doesn't change like the weather, like James is saying. God ain't going to change on you. Like, like, you know, no matter where you live, they say just wait five minutes and the weather will be changed. They say it in Abilene. Say, you never, they'll say it's a 99% chance of rain and it won't rain, but it'll be 10% chance and it'll storm, right? Well, God isn't like the weather where you don't know really what's going to happen. God is the same. He is always good. Like the old saying, God is good all of the time, and all of the time what? God is good. That's who God is. And James is reminding us, don't forget that, that He is good and good things come from Him. And all He wants for us is good. He's after our good in all that He does. Satan is not good. And wants nothing good for our lives. And James says, don't be tricked. Don't be deceived. So, God is totally good and all he wants is good for us. In fact, notice if you look at what James is saying. He's saying everything that's good comes from God. Well, what came from God? What would you say is the greatest thing that came from God? Jesus Christ. See, he's already talked about Jesus and, and we already, he's already talked about his goodness and, 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 and the salvation of God. And the greatest thing that God has ever sent from above is salvation through Jesus Christ. Can you imagine that? The original hearers hearing that like, and they understand we're talking ultimately about Jesus. Why? Because he meant salvation from what? The sins and the, what de the devil does to us and how the devil is luring us away to die separated from God. Eternally, And yet God has sent His Son to bring us to Him to fix sins, to wash them away, to wipe them away, to forget them, to deal with them so that we can be with God. The goodness of God brought us the goodness of salvation in Jesus Christ. Peter said it like this, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by His wounds. You have been healed. 
Paul said it like this in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him who knew no sin to be sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God did that in Jesus for us because God is good and sends all things good, mostly, most importantly, Jesus and salvation of him, through him. Now when James says there at the end uh, of verse 18, that where he says, of, of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth. Do you realize what James is saying there? Of his own will, God's own will, he brought us forth through the word of truth. What James is talking about is people becoming Christians. He's, he's again using the, the birth metaphor, brought us forth. That's the same word there. And he's talking about the new birth in Christ because Christ is the ultimate perfect good gift from heaven. And he's saying he's brought us forth in this new life in Christ because he sent Jesus for our salvation. He's talking about when a, a person is baptized into Christ and raised to walk in newness of life. You see, salvation and Jesus, salvation through Jesus is the greatest gift that came from above. And that's what James wants us to remind us of and says, don't be deceived. Realize what God has done for us and that salvation is ours through Christ. How do I do that? How do I become a Christian? When you hear the good news of Jesus, like we've just talked about, what He's done for us, the goodness of God coming from, down from above, when you hear that good news, then what they did in the Bible and what people still do today is they believe that good news of salvation that they hear. And then when they believe it, they repent because they realize the state that they're in and they realize they need Jesus and He's the only answer to all of the sin in their lives. He's the only answer eternally uh, for, for sin. And so when they, when they believe that, they repent, they turn from those sins and they confess, I believe Jesus is my Savior and the Son of God. And then what do they do? We see in Scripture time and time again, and James is referencing here in this new birth, this born, uh, brought forth, is baptized into Christ and raised to walk, brought forth, John chapter 3, to walk in newness of life, Romans chapter 6. And you become this new creation, a child of God, free from sin, free from the death that sin brings, now and eternal, etern in eternity. Is that the kind of freedom you have? Do you have that kind of relationship in Jesus? Do you have that kind of salvation? Do you have salvation in Christ? And if you don't know that salvation in Jesus, if you don't know that forgiveness from sins, if you don't know Jesus like that, then we want you to. That's why we exist. We want to help you do that. Whether it starts studying with you now, or maybe you're ready to be uh, uh, made new in Christ this morning and put Him on in baptism this morning. This may be your only chance. You never know. But we want you to know this church is always here for you. Maybe you've been uh, caught up in sin. Maybe you've been going this way or that way. Maybe you need prayers for something else and you want to ask the church for prayer. Did you know that's another blessing that, the, that God gives us in the church? Is that we can go and say to one another, I need help. Pray for me. Help me through this. Be with me through this. I depend on y'all. Y'all are my brothers and sisters in Christ. If we can serve you this morning, come forward as we stand and sing.